Good morning, Forsyth Baptist Church. Good morning. I'd like to welcome everyone to our morning worship service. We're going to begin this morning with another video for our Annie Armstrong Easter offering. I really grew up in a very diverse neighborhood, and It's, it's huge. Um, and as beautiful as it is, 
there's so much brokenness. Abortion rates are high. Um, homes uh, don't have fathers. Um, there's division between races and social classes. And so when Ryan and his family saw this, they said there's no better place to plant this church. And when he came here, he didn't say, I'm going to do this on my own. No. He, he came here and he began to pray. And he began to meet with people that were already in that community. And that's when he met his other um, partner. And they began to pray together. And they began to work with other people in that community. And that's how church plants work. Um, they don't just start out on their own and just say, I'm going to do this, go team. Um, no, no. The North American Mission Board um, gives them a starting point, and the, they go out into the community and are allowed to get to know these people and see what's necessary to reach the gospel um, for them. And so when they are um, you know, preaching and, and meeting with them, their goal really is to to meet them on their level. They're not saying, oh, you can't be with us because you don't have your Sunday best with your heels and your pearls. You come whenever you, you can. Um, meet us where you are. We'll meet you for coffee. It's, that's what they're doing um, in this, this multicultural community. And that's what we need to do here um, as we, as a church, not only praying uh, for these people, um, but also for our own community. The University of Georgia has 30,000 students. A third of them come from other countries. The nations have come to us. Let's reach them. The mission for North American Mission Board and for all of us really should be to disciple, to equip them, like Lex was saying last, last week, to equip them to make them better uh, disciples, right? So that they go out and equip others so it's a multiplication game. So that's my challenge to you, to be praying for these people um, in DeKalb, um, to be praying for the churches in Athens, and also with um, the rest of the Antioch Strong church plants. Um, we have envelopes in the back um, by the soundboard, also some in the foyer. You don't have to use an envelope. You can just write your check out and put Andy on it. Totes fine, whatever you want to do. Thanks so much. As we continue our worship service this morning, let's all stand as we sing Crown Him and Winning Crowns.
Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I hope everyone had a good week this week. I had the uh, privilege of getting my second COVID shot this week. Yay! The bad news was my wife took it pretty bad. I just flew right through it, no problems. And every time she said, how are you feeling? I said, I'm doing great. She says, hush. Don't tell me. But uh, I'm grateful for that and uh, grateful for that opportunity to, to get uh, that next step down the path. I hope that if you're uh, dealing or have dealt with it or have family members that are dealing with it, well, you know, we've got a long way to go with this whole process of this, this COVID thing. And, and we don't even know what normal is going to look like when it's all said and done. I can rest assured to you of this, it will not look like what it did this time last year. Uh, we didn't even have a clue this time last year what we were fixing to go through. And uh, had we given, been given an opportunity, all of us would have said, uh, can I opt out of that <laughs> Once you be remembering to pray for our search committee. Uh, they have begun this process. This is not a sprint. This is a marathon. And it's a huge task. And they're utterly dependent upon you to be praying for them in the process. Uh, as already has been mentioned, we will be praying for our North American Mission Board uh, offering for, Lottie, for Annie Armstrong. Sorry to say Lottie Moon, that's Christmas time. For Annie Armstrong. And, uh, and I want you to be realizing too, I work with Sorrento Baptist Association and we're right on the threshold of beginning a new partnership. We had a partnership the last couple of years with Pittsburgh as part of our North American Mission effort. And we had over 20 churches participate in various aspects of the ministry there in Pittsburgh. The church planner left, and the whole situation kind of changed there, so we had to kind of redirect. Our state convention is encouraging Northeast Georgia to partner with uh, churches or entities and church planters in the uh, New England area. And we have identified Island Pond Baptist Church in Hampstead, New Hampshire, that uh, we're going to have a team in uh, April, I believe, go up and and kind of scope it out and begin the process of building a partnership with them. So that's our, we're also going to be having an international partnership with Peru. We've not done that before as an association, but again, we're working in conjunction with the Georgia Baptist to do that. So hope you'll be praying for this thing. Join me as we pray together. Father, we are here this morning to worship. We want to hear from you, whether it's through a testimony to some, uh, whether it's through uh, a word that is shared. Uh, Lord, we just want you to know that we, we desperately need encouragement from you. We desperately need direction from you. We need to be reminded constantly, Lord, that it is not on our shoulders, but we are in fact are resting in your arms. And so, Father, as we pray for our search committee, we pray for wisdom and, and uh, direction. Pray for patience, Lord, as they seek to discover exactly who that is that you would have uh, to come and lead this church. We also pray for our North American Mission offering. Pray, God, that you begin to burden the hearts of those who are here, not with if they should give, but how much they should give. And Lord, I pray even for our association as we begin to uh, establish a partnership in uh, New England, and that, Lord, that you would be a part of guiding and directing us as we determine how we can come alongside fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in another part of the world so, uh, of our nation that we can uh, uh, impact it for the gospel. And Lord, we just pray these things in Jesus' name.
today, it's $40,857. A loaf of bread, a loaf of bread uh, was $1.15, and the minimum wage was $5.15 in this particular year. In this particular year, Charles, Prince Charles and Lady Di got a divorce. Nintendo 64 was released. The mad cow disease was so bad that beef from the UK had been banned. DVDs were launched in Japan for the very first time. Internet Explorer 3 was launched. The Spice Girls had their number first number one song this particular year. The popular movies were Independence Day, Twister, and Mission Impossible. Popular TV shows were uh, Seventh Heaven, Third Rock from the Sun, Crocodile Hunter, and Everybody Loves Raymond. The man serving in the Oval Office at that particular time was Bill Clinton, and the Georgia uh, governor was Zell Miller, and this might be the real key that, tap, that, that really gets you. The 1996 Summer Olympics happened that year. <laughs> Why do I go through all that? I go through all that to let you know that all those things were taking place the last time Forest Heights Baptist Church started looking for a pastor. Let that sink in for just a moment. The last time this church started looking for a pastor was in 1996. That's crazy. I mean, uh, I, I was fairly young in 1996. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reminded so many times of things that have happened and they Times have changed and everything. This week, my daughter sent me a, uh, a message with a picture of my eight-year-old granddaughter. And it was a picture of her looking at a newspaper. And my, my daughter said that when her daughter, Ava, took a look at the newspaper there firsthand, she said, I've never seen one of these before. <laughs> The search for a pastor is no small thing. As I told the search committee a couple of weeks back when we were meeting together, I said, oh, there's probably nobody that was a part of that search committee that thought the decision that they were going to make then would be that it have an impact on this church for a quarter of a century. That's how important it is. As a result, I want us this morning to take a look at the, what the Bible says, the biblical profile of a pastor ought to be. How do you avoid getting off track in your search for a pastor? Well, my suggestion is how to avoid that is pretty simple, and that is look at the Bible, see what the Bible says about what the qualifications of that man should be, and follow that. And don't deviate from that and say, oh, well, that's way back when. But I think what he gives us here is uh, a pretty accurate thing and it has lasted for 2,000 years. We're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 3 this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Paul gives instructions to young Timothy. And this is, you know, you, you have to remember, these were not mega churches he was talking about. These were not uh, uh, churches that had their own buildings. These were very small groups of people and that we were calling churches. Regardless of the size, church is a serious matter to call a pastor. 
It's not merely a job of trying to find somebody who can preach. Because let me tell you something, I've been doing my job here for almost 15 years. Now I get called in all kinds of situations. I mean, it's, it's bizarre. I'm writing a book, when it's all said and done, about the, the troubles Baptist churches get themselves into that they want me to help them get out of. But up to this point, none of the conflicts have ever centered around preaching and teaching. Absolutely, almost always has to do with personality and leadership style. Personality and leadership style. How they go about doing life. That's where the conflict arises. I want to draw your attention this morning to this biblical profile. This is not a survey of what churches hope their pastor will be. This is not my list of characteristics and qualities I think are important. These are found in God's Word. This was not the result of a study group. This was not the result of some uh, poll that was taken in the culture. You see, the, the main danger we get into today is we take God's Word and we read it, but we read it through the filter. This is being the filter. The filter uh, culture filter that we have in our face. And whatever the culture adjusts about God's word, we just discard it. Isn't that true? We need to reverse that process and interpret our culture in light of the filter of God's word. Does that make sense? Because the culture will look at some of these things and say, eh, not that important. Man, that's old stuff. That's antiquated. Let me ask you a question. Is gravity antiquated? <laughs> is water antiquated? How about fire? Is fire antiquated? But you know what? <laughs> They're all true in a sense of what they are and who they are and what they pertain to. And when it comes to God's word and what he gives us as direction, it may be antiquated, but that does not mean it is not true. When you get to the scripture and you understand something, that there are multiple terms used for the pastor. One term is pastor, and that means the shepherd. One term used is bishop. Bishop, which means an overseer. One term that is interchangeable with pastor from time to time, and always when you look at a passage of scripture, regardless of what you're preaching, the context is ultimately the determining factor where that elder is used as a as a uh, leader in the church or as the pastor. And then there's the term overseer, which is used in this translation to refer to the pastor. And that's the guardian of the church, the one who provides leadership and superintends all the activities of the church. <coughs> so listen carefully as I read this passage of scripture found in 1 Timothy chapter 3. I find a hard time finding 1 Timothy. It is right before 2 Timothy. <laughs> That ought to help you nail it down pretty quickly. The scripture says this. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but a gentle, uh, uncontentious, Free from the love of money. 
He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, lest he become conceited and fall into con condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he may not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. May God add his blessings upon the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Father, guide us. Guide us today as we look at this passage of scripture. As we take into consideration what your standard is for the man who will fulfill the role of pastor in your church. And Lord, I pray that through this study that it will open our eyes to the fact that there's a whole lot more that goes on in the life of a pastor than merely preaching. There's so many more components than just merely preaching. And so, Lord, let us be attuned to what you have to say about this role. In Christ's name I pray. What I'm going to do this morning is kind of group this into several categories. And for those terms that he's listed here in those categories. The first one is simply this. A pastor needs to be devoted to God by his personal commitment. Devoted to God by his personal commitment. That's exemplified here in this passage of scripture. A personal commitment with his life. It says he needs to be above reproach. It does not say he has to be perfect. It does need to say that there is no scandal or taint uh, associated with his name. He's not open to blame or his reputation uh, is in disrepute. What he's implying is if you look at a person's character, a man's character that you're considering to be your pastor, his past performance is going to be a pretty good predictor of what his future performance will be. Personal commitment to his life. Also a personal commitment to his wife. It says the husband of but one wife. A man uh, for, uh, with one wife. Fidelity in marriage is one of the greatest levels of commitment we have in our world, human to human, uh, bar none. And I think it is an example that a pastor has to have that that commitment to his wife is emblematic of how, what his level of commitment is to the Lord. Because I think it serves as an object lesson for the congregation to look at a man's commitment to his life and say, oh, that's how he values commitment. If he's that committed to his wife, how much more will he be committed to his, to his God? Now, this is where culture gets into play at times, and it says, ah, that's old stuff. That's antiquated. But my friends, it's true. The Apostle Paul wanted to say one wife at a time. He could have said that. He did not say that. The first three centuries of the early church viewed this as talking about three things primarily. One, polygamy. Two, bigamy. And three, digamy. Now, digamy, we don't hear much about anymore. That is, emphasis upon being married once. Now that's my uh, assessment of it. That's my belief. I can preach only that which I believe and what the scripture says. But there are churches that in the Southern Baptist realm of things today that have almost discarded this thing completely. And it has been the influence of the culture. So here's what's happened in our world today that's strange to me. God did not call us to be a reflection of the culture. 
You see, to me, there seems to be two kinds of churches and almost like two kinds of Christians. You've got either thermostats or you've got thermometers. What is a thermostat's intent? A thermostat's intent is to regulate the temperature in the room, right? Outside does not regulate how the temperature is on the inside of this building. Or else some of you would be wrapped up in blankets probably now. The culture has served in many churches determining what the temperature is on the inside because the culture weighs more heavy than the Word of God does in some churches. So that all the church then becomes is a thermometer. You merely reflect what the spiritual temperature is outside. You reflect the standards from outside. You reflect the values from outside. God calls on us not to be thermometers. God calls on us to be thermostats. Amen. Amen. Now, which is easier to do? <laughs> you can go to the store by a thermometer virtually nothing. Stick it outside, it just registers. Your thermostat go bad, you gotta have an expert come out, and, and it usually doesn't cost you what the thermometer does. But that's what God has called us to be in our culture. And who has to lead that charge is a man who has these kind of this kind of devotion and his personal commitment to the Lord. It's not a mere, uh, a mere job of getting up and preaching. It's part of it. But it has to be a man with unquestionable integrity in his role. His life reflects the gospel message. And he relates to those who, uh, who has a commitment to, to follow the Lord faithfully. The second thing in the, I want to group here is that he is directed by the Spirit to sound living. Directed by the Spirit to sound living. It says in this translation, he must be temperate. That means to be restrained, well-balanced, keep your head in all situations. But also, not only to have a sound mind, the Spirit directs us to have sound behavior. Here are the characteristics described here. I may alter some of the words that are in the text, but they reflect out of another translation. One is self-controlled. That means that he is sober-minded. He's serious about his purpose. He is respectable. That means he's well-ordered and well-behaved. He is hospitable. I love what one person said about hospitality. It says, he opens his arms to strangers. He loves strangers. He loves the new person when they come in. They don't have to do anything to earn it. They just do. That's awesome to be able to have a pastor who has been directed by the Spirit to have a sound mind and sound behavior. You see, one's life becomes a reflection of the gospel message. I came across this poem a number of years ago. It's called The Gospel According to You. Let me share that with you in this poem. If none but you were in the world today had tried to live the Christ-like way, could the rest of the world look close to you and find a path that is straight and true? If none but you were in the world so wide and found the Christ for his daily guide, would the things you do and the things you say lead others to live in his blessed way? Ah, friends of Christ in the world today are many who watch you upon your way and look to the things you say and do to measure the Christian standard true. 
Men read and admire the gospel of Christ with its love, so faith unfailing and true. But what do they say, and what do they think of the gospel according to you? You are writing each day a letter to men. Take care that the writing is true. Tis the only gospel some men will read, that gospel according to you. See, that's the kind of pastor you have to have. That people understand the gospel by seeing his life as well as hearing his message. The walk must match the talk. The message, it, it, uh, the, what, what the message does is it's to send people uh, to hear the word. And when they hear it, close, uh, live, uh, preached by a guy like that, it, comes, it sounds uh, as a consistent message. The third thing in this passage is this. He's dedicated to the teaching of God's word. Teaching of God's word. He says he must be able to teach. That's one who is fit and ready to take on all opportunities of giving instruction. Well instructed in the things of the kingdom of God. He communicates what he knows to others and does so effectively. The scripture tells us even we as believers are to study to show ourselves approved. Rightly dividing the word of truth. That's the term Paul used as a tent maker to talk about cutting of materials. So that the material is straight when it's cut, so that it can be used. If it were not cut straight, it could not be used. So is the truth of God's word. Your pastor must be able to teach the word of God. Your pastor must be able to do more than merely entertain. He must instruct in the word of God. If he doesn't teach the word, he has no message. He needs to spend time in the study of the word for himself. You see, the trap that pastors fall into on occasion is the only time they open up the Bible is to study for the next sermon. What's your motivation for, for opening and studying the Bible when you're doing it to prepare for the next sermon? You're doing it out of a motivation, what can I feed for, provide for others to feed upon? What can I give to others? But my friends, you cannot, you cannot feed others when you have no food yourself. You cannot provide water to thirsty people when your well is dry. A pastor needs to be able to not only teach the word, he's got to be able to study the word for himself, for his own personal edification. And that's more than seminary training, folks. That's day-by-day -day walking in the word walking in the Word. I, I made a commitment when I started pastoring. I said, Lord, whatever I'm studying in the Word cannot be used as a text for Scripture anytime in the near future. The only reason for that was I wanted to make sure as I read the Word I was looking for what God has to say to Lex, not what God has to say to Lex's church. There's a difference between those two. So he's got to be able to teach. Fourthly, displaying appropriate Christian lifestyle. He displays right actions. It says he is not dependent upon wine, not given to drunkenness. Drunkenness leads to recklessness and is the, is the opposite of self-control. It prohibits one from being under control. This describes a person who sits a long time at the table drinking wine. And this is another thing that our culture has had a great impact impact on the church today. 
Time and time again, I hear churches talk about, oh, yeah, we have lots of people who, who drink wine. Now, folks, there's a lot of prohibitions in Scripture about various things. As best I can tell, there is not one in there in regards to uh, methamphetamines either. <laughs> there's not one in there for uh, LSD or anything like that. But, I mean, use your brain sometimes. My friends, I'm old school. I'm an old guy. Let me tell you something. Our culture is absolutely attacking us in this one area, in this one area, prominently. We, it is portrayed through our media that you cannot have a social conversation without some form of alcohol being held in your hand. I was taught something by an ethics professor 40 years ago that I have never gotten uh, out of my head, and I think it's absolutely accurate and true. He said this about these kinds of things where you look for that commandment that says, thou shalt not drink such and such, or thou shalt not do. He said, listen, here's the bottom line. He says, your money is an extension of yourself. Your money is an extension of yourself. Whatever you spend your money on, you are endorsing. Whatever you spend your money on, you are saying, I want you to produce more and more of that kind of stuff. And we have a personal friend whose life has absolutely been destroyed and the gateway vehicle that she experienced was was sitting down at the, with a friend with a glass of wine. And now her entire life is out of control. She's lost her family. She's lost her friends. She's lost everything. And it has absolutely gotten grip. If you do that, I think your pastor needs to be one who has a, a strong conviction. This is my opinion. Strong conviction. You are a church. You are an autonomous body of believers. But you need to be aware of what the Word of God says in regards to this. It says he shouldn't be violent also in this right actions category. You've seen people refer to the pulpit as the bully pulpit. There's some pastors who are out for a fight every Sunday. It's, it's not, not throwing their weight behind, but it's someone who is, deals with people with mildness and love and gentleness. They're not violence. They display right attitudes of gentleness and being peaceable. They display right affections. It says they're free from the love of money. Now, discussing money with a pastor is absolutely legitimate. Any pastor who takes a church and doesn't know what he's going to be compensated is uh, foolish. The Bible even teaches us no one begins to build a house, and first they count the cost. Before he counts the cost of coming here as a pastor, he needs to know that. What this means is he is not motivated by money. He has not fallen in love with money. Money is not the answer to all of his questions. Matter of fact, I heard one guy who had studied pastors and money and said, most pastors in the United States of America today could not do God's will if they wanted to because they have so much debt. And I think somewhere in that application, it comes true. Displaying appropriate Christian lifestyle. You know the best portrait you can have of what a Christian ought to be? It's found in Galatians 5. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Have you ever noticed in the Bible, it never gives you any kind of the physical attributes of the Lord Jesus Christ? 
That's all he is, what he looked like, or any of that kind of stuff. But in, in Galatians chapter 5, you have the fruit of the Spirit. You've got the only portrait you need of Jesus Christ. And that's who we need to model ourselves after. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He said, against such things, there is no law. There is no laws. The fifth area here is developing a mature disciple, as a mature disciple. He's mature with his family. He says he manages his household well. Manages his, that means to provide direction, leadership, giving a sense of direction to his family. Doing so in such a fashion that his children respect him and submit to his leadership. But he's also to be mature in his faith. Bible says here, not a recent convert. Not a recent convert. This word is used to describe a plant that has been recently planted and the roots have not had an opportunity to go down very deep. Make sure that your pastor has been firmly rooted. The final thing here that I would mention is distinguished by, God, by a good relationship in the community. Distinguished in his reputation. It says he must have a good reputation. That word good means moral. Reputation has to do with his testimony, what he conveys to others. And also distinguished in his relationship he, in doing so with outsiders. With outsiders. So that he will not fall into disgrace into the snare of the devil. Paul provided a list of qualifications so that church leaders, as they lived out their life, would not bring shame or embarrassment to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. How we deal with the world has a tremendous impact. I've observed a lot of things since I've been here as a director of missions. One of the things that was one of the most embarrassing things I ever saw was one of our pastors left under less than great conditions from the church he left. And in doing so, I found out later he left over $1,000 in unpaid utility bills to the local businesses. Other bills he left unpaid and moved to another part of the state. What do you think that has on the impact of the gospel when somebody hears about that particular church in that community and they go, oh yeah, I worked in that office and that pastor didn't pay his bills. What's that do to the gospel? very severely. We've got to be sensitive to that in every way. Just this past week, or last week I guess it was, we had a, a fire marshal drop into our office. That doesn't happen very often, and we don't have a huge office. But fire marshal came in, and it's kind of one of those things, whoops, he's here today. <laughs> Wonder what he wants. And he was there to check our fire extinguishers. Well, we had a contract with a company that they typically call us. And they come in and they check our fire extinguishers and they replace them if they need to be replaced. They reservice them if they need to be reserviced. And quite frankly, they hadn't been around. And so uh, when he came in, he, we were talking. I didn't know him personally. But he had a trainer with him that was with him that day. And, and my secretary and I were talking with him. And I said, Amy, has the, has the, the fire extinguisher service been about this year? She said, I don't I don't think so. I said, guys, I think you've probably found a violator here. I said, go and check it. And sure enough, it had expired. And so they gave us a, a report. They sent it to us. And he also said, oh, oh, by the way, you've got a handicapped parking spot outside, but you do not have a sign 
front of us. You should have a sign in the front of it. Now, we can't write you up for that, but it should be that way. And they sent us a preliminary thing that says if you get the fire extinguishers updated, you're approved and got your next thing. And so we called the fire extinguisher company. They came out the next day and replaced it. They said, all you got to do is take a picture of it and send it to us. So the next day, before 24 hours had elapsed, I had taken a picture of it and sent it. Before the next week elapsed, matter of fact, earlier this week, there's a handicapped parking sign out in front of that. They didn't have to do that, but you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to say to those folks, I want you to understand we respect you. So that when the opportunity comes for somebody that has Baptist in their name, encounters you, you will say, oh, I remember that Sarepta group. They were very cooperative along the way. That will earn you credibility so that when the gospel opportunity comes along, it too can be done and shared. Does he pay his bills? Does he contribute an interaction to the community? What is his relationship with his community like? That's a long list of things, isn't it? Here's the question that I've got for you. It's a very serious question. How many of those on things on that list, how many things on that list can you determine by hearing a man preach? Maybe one. The ability to teach. Why do I say that? Because the vast majority of Southern Baptist churches, when they are considering their next pastor, make that decision based upon whether or not he can preach a halfway decent sermon on Sunday morning. But there's so much more to it than that. So the next question then is, well then, how do we go about doing that? You have empowered a search committee to take on the task of going down this biblical list and seeing how it applies to the call of your next pastor. That's going to take time. It's going to take energy. And it's going to take effort. And when they present that person to you, you ought to have confidence that what the work that they have done to bring you to that point involves a whole lot more than merely standing behind the pulpit and preaching. Because i got another question for you. How many hours during the course of a week does a pastor preach? Let's just, in, for argument's sake, give them uh, an hour on Sunday morning and an hour on Sunday night. That's two hours out of 168 hours in the week. How many hours does he lead? How many hours does he do administration? How many hours does he impact other people? How many hours does he minister? How many hours does he do all the other things that pastors have to do? And how can you determine that? It takes time. It will take time for your search committee to turn over every rock they can. I always kind of half-jokingly say, you need to fire them before you hire them. Meet. If they pass the, that kind of scrutiny, 
you got a good memory. I share all this to let you know today that it's going to take time. I shared this verse with you last Sunday night, Isaiah 40, verse 31. Let those who wait upon the Lord, they'll gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles, run and not get tired. They'll walk and not become weary. This is a waiting game. Not waiting in the sense of inactivity, but waiting patiently. Waiting patiently for God to work and God to act. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we are so grateful that you included in your instruction the very precise details of the characteristics of your servant and pastor. Lord, for us to ignore it is unforgivable, but yet it happens from time to time. Or Lord, we can get selective in what we want to pay attention to and other things that we don't. And oftentimes our lack of patience is the driver that causes us to make the mistake. I pray, God, that you would work in and through this church and the search committee to seek out a man who matches the biblical profile for a pastor. I pray, God, that this morning, as we consider our commitment to you, that, Lord, we collectively as a church would make a commitment to follow your word, follow your instruction, to adopt the biblical profile of a pastor that you have indicated we need to do. So Lord, in these next moments, it's a time of commitment. A time in which we say, yes, Lord, we're willing to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This morning, the invitation is going to be a little bit different. <coughs> Always the altar is open for anyone who would like to come and commit their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Or if you choose to be a part of this church, the altar is always open. But this morning, I want to make a, a special challenge to you. And that is that you would commit to pray for your search committee. That you would pray for God's will to be done, not yours. That your timetable would match God's timetable and that you're not constantly bantering God about why don't we have somebody already? I challenge you to make a commitment to do that. You may make that commitment in the privacy of where you're standing. You may simply want to come and kneel here at the front and do business with God in prayer kneeling. Whatever decision God has laid upon your heart, I encourage you to come and do that. Especially regards to praying for your search committee. Would you stand together as we sing? If you need to come, come. But pray where you are about your commitment to pray for the search committee right now.
just wanted to take just a moment to emphasize how important it is for you as part of this church, as part of God's church, to be here tonight. Les is going to take uh, the time that he would normally be bringing a message to bring uh, an important message to us about what we're about as the pastor search team and as the church. Folks, there are five of us that you've designated as the snubbies to go out and find a pastor for this church. And as Lex said, it could affect this church for another quarter of a century as it has before. But whatever, you have an important part in that. And I invite you to be here tonight. Uh, if you're providentially hindered, I can understand that. If you're just too lazy to get off your family, I don't understand. <laughs> so just please, just please make it tonight if you possibly can. This is your duty as a church. That's all it is too. Thank you. 